Our Bible reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul's epistle to the Corinthians in the New Testament. And if you are willing and able, please stand in honor of God's word. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires or unbelievers come in, they will not say, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God really is among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophecy, prophecy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. 
But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Hey, it is so, so good to see you. We are in the midst of what has been up to this point, 10 weeks of focusing on the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit. And this series represents our desire to be both word-centered and spirit-filled, to, to cling to God's word as his authoritative, sufficient scripture, and to seek to hear the voice of God in, in prayer. Uh, to, to cling to structure, but also to experience spontaneity, to worship God with theologically rich songs, and to lift our hands in, in expressive praise, to embrace suffering with contentment, but also pray for healing with boldness, to do the slow, ordinary work of discipleship, but also pray for sudden and surprising breakthrough. And throughout my life, there's uh, one place where I have seen this come together most beautifully, God's word and God's spirit, and that's prophecy and prophetic gifts. And prophetic gifts are where the, the power of God through his word and the power of God through his spirit align in a, in a particular way for the encouragement of a person and the building up of the church. And so this morning we're looking at, at prophetic gifts and in my own life, I have been the recipient of prophetic gifts far more than I've experienced them or served other people with them myself. I'll give you an example. Well, I was baptized when I was 13 years old. And at that baptism, one of my best friend's mothers received a word from the Lord for me. She was also the, the wife of one of the pastors. And I was 13 getting baptized, and, and she shared this word for me and, and for my family and it was that I was, was on a horse, I was grown up, and I was like riding on a horse and speaking out to, to a crowd and, and encouraging them before some kind of spiritual battle. Now, if, if you're a teenager, that probably sounds like a super dope message to receive. I was like, no way. Like, you got the wrong person. That's probably a little bit embarrassing for you. You got the wrong kid. Because at 13, I was incredibly shy, like would go whole days without talking. As a kid, I was in a lot of speech therapy. I just struggled to get words out and be understood. And so as a result, public speaking was the last thing I ever wanted to do in life. I was just a middle kid trying to fly under the radar. Nobody noticed me. The last thing I want to do is be in front of people. So it was not like a brave heart moment for me. It was like the exact opposite. And yet, I, I, I sort of stored those words up. And over the years, it, it's been a, a remarkable encouragement to me. And so there were times in, in college, I, I was invited to speak at our college ministry, and I stood up, and this vision kind of rushed back to mind. When I was ordained in, in Louisville 12 years ago, again, it came rushing to my mind. When we had our first service for this church, and I, and I stood up in front of you all, it came back. And so for me, it's... it's it's a word from the Lord, and there were, there were scriptures attached to it as well. 
But it's a word that's, that's encouraged me, that's kept me going when I've been asking, what in the world am I doing? It's kept me going in an encouraging way. And so we're, we're continuing to look through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. We're finishing chapter 14 today, which can we just say, what a fun chapter. Like, <laughs> just so fun. I really do love it. I mean that. It is fun. And we're looking in particular at prophetic giftings. What is prophecy? How does it operate in the church? What is it for? How do we cultivate it? Out of all of the gifts, 20 or so gifts that Paul describes in the New Testament, there's one gift where he comes back again and again and says, eagerly desire this one, and it's prophecy. Be eager to prophesy And so we're going to follow the same outline that we looked at last week when we talked about tongues. We're going to look at the gift, the purpose, and the practice. So the the gift of prophecy, the purpose of it, and then the practice of it, how to cultivate it. So let me pray for us, and we'll get into this word. Um, Father, we thank you. We praise you that you are a God who speaks and is still speaking. You have given us your written word, and you have given us your spirit to to make that word come alive to us today. And Father, again, I am so aware of my own weakness and and fatigue and the inability of my words to produce any kind of change in our lives. And so, Lord, we cling to your word, to your power and strength. And so, Spirit of God, would you give us insight and wisdom into this word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we'll start by looking at the gift of prophecy. And I actually want to take us back to the beginning of chapter 12, the the first few verses of this whole section on spiritual gifts. And, And where Paul begins is actually by reminding the Corinthians of the life that they came out of. He said, you are, you are a pagan people and you are worshiping mute idols. He said, you are influenced and led astray by mute idols. And so they were worshiping these these man-made structures, these little idols that could not speak, that had no words, that had nothing to say, but now they are serving the living and speaking God. Now they're serving a God and they're worshiping a God who does speak, who continues to speak, who has something to say. And I don't know if you noticed that throughout chapter 12 and throughout the rest of the New Testament, that most of the spiritual gifts are, are word and speech gifts. And so at the, uh, the main description, verse 8 in chapter 12, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge. He goes on to describe a few that aren't speech, but comes back to prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, still another the interpretation of tongues. And then later he's going to add teaching, encouragement, and guidance as well. And so roughly two-thirds of all of the spiritual gifts are speech and language gifts. These are, these are words that matter so much. And this, the reason for this, according to Paul in these passages, is that words and speech edify and encourage and build up and comfort in a way that nothing else can. And in chapter 12, at the very end, when he says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts... We know he's not saying that some gifts are greater than others because the whole point of these three chapters is to show that everybody receives a gift and they're all equal. Rather, he's saying that some have a greater impact of building up the whole church. 
So there are gifts like, like the private use of tongues, which edify a person, and that's good, but especially seek the gifts that will build up the most people, that will build up the entire church. And so there are, are multiple word and speech gifts here. I'm basically going to treat them all together, all of the prophetic gifts together. There are some charismatic teachers that really carefully delineate, like here's the message of wisdom, here's the message of knowledge. I don't think that that's really that clear in the New Testament. I think it's better to treat all of the prophetic gifts together. And my definition of prophetic gifts is simply supernatural encouragement. That's what prophecy is. It's supernatural encouragement. It's supernatural because it, in, it involves some revelation from God, a, a divine revelation, not infallible, not the same as Scripture, but it is God revealing something and it's encouragement. It's not just revelation for the sake of revelation or to be interesting, but it's meant to encourage, edify, build up, and comfort the people of God. I shared a few weeks back an example of supernatural encouragement that I experienced from our friend Kayla, which was later confirmed by our friend uh, Zane in our community group. People just being faithful in prayer to listen for God's voice and then pass it along. But I also have a, a really good friend that I've known basically my entire life who has an unbelievable prophetic gifting. He's actually the son of the woman who spoke the gift over me when I was 13. So I don't know if prophecy is like hereditary, but it's like the whole family, literally, it's like prophetic gifts, just like popping off all over the place. And so my friend and I, we haven't lived in the same city since we've been 18, but we've stayed in touch. And he has, in the most incredible moments, reached out to me with a prophetic word. It's been a time where I'm in, in transition or I'm really struggling or I'm facing a big decision. I'll get a call or a text and be like, oh man, here we go. I mean, I remember a time when I was, was trying to discern a calling in ministry. I was about 26. And, and I was on a road trip by myself, which like rarely happens, but I had two hours without the kids and things. And he called right at the beginning and had this incredible picture from John 10 of Jesus as the good shepherd. And, and all I had to do was, was follow him. Don't worry about being the shepherd, just follow the good shepherd. Another time when I was a little over 30, I was going through some, some grief counseling and, and doing some really deep inner work and honestly was really struggling, but he called and he had a word from Psalm 30 that just applied so incredibly, supernaturally specific to what I was going through that it was incredibly comforting, incredibly encouraging. So I know some of you, you've got like a finance guy or a lawn care guy and you don't want to give out his number because you're like trying to like kind of hold it tight. I got a prophecy guy. And if you can get a prophecy guy in your life, it's really helpful. And I, want to, I want to address some of, the, some of the questions that often come up or even the objections that come up when we think and we talk about prophecy, things that I've wondered and that I've wrestled with over the last couple of decades. And one of the first ones is simply a, a, a concern, which is, which is a, a genuine and good concern that a prophetic word might undermine the sufficiency and power of Scripture. But if we look carefully in, in the Scriptures at what prophecy is, we see that it's, it operates differently in the Old Testament and New Testament. 
So in the Old Testament, prophets like Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were mouthpieces of God. And when they spoke, they were speaking the direct words of God. That's why they say, thus saith the Lord, like in the KJV. And they were speaking the word of God. But in the New Testament, in Hebrews 1, right at the beginning of the book, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so I've said this already, but it, it bears repeating that prophecy in the Old Testament was divine revelation of God's word. But prophecy in the New Testament, it's divine revelation around God's word. It's not, it's not the same. It's not God's word itself, but it's rather divine revelation that makes sense of God's word or, or personalizes or, or deepens God's written eternal word in our lives. In the New Testament, the apostles call us to trust God's written word, but to test every prophetic word. We don't have to test the scriptures. I mean, we can and they'll hold up. We're to trust the scriptures, but test every prophetic word that we hear. Sam Storms, an author that I keep quoting, he puts it like this, prophecy is the human report of divine revelation. Prophecy is speaking forth in merely human words, something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. All genuine prophetic ministry is based upon or flows from a revelation from God. And so it's a a divine or supernatural revelation, but it's also coming through a a human report. And so that means that just because you you might sense something or or see a a picture for somebody or hear uh, something almost like the voice of God, it, it could be divine revelation. And yet even at our best, we're just reporting it as humans. And because we're not God, it means our faculties are limited our, our experience and, and our sin can get in the way of even how we see and interpret these things. And so for us, it's never appropriate, I believe, to say, this is what God says to you, but rather, here's what I sense God's saying to you. Here's what I believe he wants to, to encourage you with or impress upon you. It's not timidity to be uncertain. It can be humility. Now think about how much prophetic ministry shows up in the book of Acts. I can maybe give you a dozen examples. I'll just give you a few. In, in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, this married couple, they've sold a piece of property and they come before the apostles and the church very publicly and say, we've sold this property and we're giving you all of the proceeds. And yet they weren't, really. They were holding back much of the prophets for themselves. And the apostles gave them each a chance. They, they recognized they, they had intuition from the Holy Spirit, supernatural revelation that something wasn't right here. They asked some clarifying questions. Ananias and Sophia lied again, and they actually fell down dead. Acts chapter 13, the believers are gathered. Verse 2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And I love that verse. Like, did the Holy Spirit audibly speak in a way that everybody could hear? It's possible. It's also possible that that the group all had an, an internal sense 
A sense of the inaudible voice of God, which is where you, you hear God's voice in a, in a clear way with specific words. You don't hear it out loud through your ears, but you, you hear it sort of with the ears of your heart. And if numerous people experience the same message at the same time, they can conclude that it's the Holy Spirit calling them to do something, in this case, to further the mission through Saul and Barnabas. Acts 20, Agabus, who is a, a, a well-known prophet in, in the first century with a prophetic gifting, he's, he's revealed some remarkable things. He gets this image of Paul being tied up with, with ropes around his hands. And he concludes that Paul should not go to Jerusalem because if he goes, he will be arrested. And he's pleading with Paul not to go. And Paul actually disagrees with him. Paul says, I don't think that's right. I do think I need to go to Jerusalem. They all pray about it. And they basically conclude that Agabus is probably not correct in the way he's interpreting this vision or even in the vision itself. And it seems like the New Testament actually includes this example of a prophecy that actually didn't come out to be 100% accurate just to remind us that it's okay. Like, Agabus doesn't get kicked out of the church. He's not called a false prophet, you know. According to Moses, a false prophet is somebody who leads people away from God. Rather, he's an imperfect prophet. And it seems like he just continues to serve and, and to try to get better at using this gift he's received. Now, somebody might say, are, are we talking about revelation that, that goes beyond Scripture? And rightly, you're, you're probably concerned if anything goes beyond Scripture, and I am as well. But instead, what we're talking about is, is applying Scripture in a, in a really specific, supernatural kind of way, a really particular way. So God says uh, through Jesus in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And we know that that Scripture but in the moment, God's saying, Paul and Barnabas, go and make disciples in this region of Galatia. That's, that's a prophetic application of something that Jesus has said. And so we know that God loves us, and he says that in 1 John 4, but to actually grasp and to feel and to experience that God loves me, that can be a deep and prophetic understanding of scripture. We're not going beyond it, but we're applying it with incredible specificity. Now, you might also say prophecy. I'm, I'm emphasizing the, the words and the speech and the scripture, and I believe that that's what Paul is doing over and over again. But somebody might say, well, what about all the, the images and the visions and the dreams that, that aren't necessarily attached to specific words? What do we do with those? And again, I think there's there's some, some good things to hold in tension with this as well. But if you actually think about the, the whole counsel of Scripture and how often imagery is used. I mean, think about the Old Testament. When God shows up among his people, he almost always does so with a visible symbol. You know, the, the burning bush or the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night or, or fire and smoke at Mount Sinai, the hurricane for Job. There are these visual symbols that serve to remind us of who God is and to feel the weight of what he's about to say. In the New Testament, Jesus, his favorite method of teaching is parables. He's giving us these, these word pictures. He's, he's calling us to use our imagination 
to understand something that's true of God and his kingdom that mere words and teaching can't communicate by themselves. And so we shouldn't be surprised if prophetic gifts include some combination of speech and imagery. And so that's the first question. What is prophecy? It's supernatural encouragement, speech and imagery combining to impress upon us something for the sake of encouragement. I'm already getting into the second thing, which is what is prophecy for? The purpose of prophecy. There's three things that we see in chapter 14. If you have your, your Bible or your bulletin, we're going we're gonna to continue working through it. The three dimensions of, of what prophecy is for is edifying each other, building up the church, and then supporting the mission, supporting missional engagement. So first, edifying each other. Verse 3 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, as I said, there's nothing wrong with a spiritual gift that, that builds somebody up. The New Testament commands us to edify ourselves. But even better is a spiritual gift that encourages and edifies and comforts someone else. Paul is going to such great lengths to show us that these gifts are meant to be expressed within community. And that's why he has an entire chapter right sandwiched in the middle of chapters 12 and 14. He's got an entire chapter on practical love in the church. So the purpose of prophecy, first, is to edify one another. Second, is to build the church up. Look at verse 26. When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So I, I love what Paul is saying here, that everybody is a participant in the church. There, there, are, no, there are no professionals and amateurs. There are no spectators. Everybody is an active participant in God's church. Everyone is bringing a hymn and a word of encouragement and prayer and so on. And so it seems like the Corinthians are getting a little out of control with this, like they're all trying to do their thing at once. And Paul's saying, look, this is great. Every one of you has brought something valuable. But let's introduce a little bit of order here. Like, let's have some, some structure. If, if two or three people are sharing prophetic words, take a moment to, to consider the message. Don't just keep blaring them out and rolling through them. If someone's speaking and somebody else feels that they have a word, they should wait till the first person's done or the first person should sort of yield the floor to the second person. I mean, just really specific kind of instructions for how to do this. Like I said last week about tongues, I believe we are commanded to, to eagerly desire these gifts. And yet how we express them in the church 
It takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of pastoral sensitivity. We remember that these churches were about 50 or, or fewer people gathering in homes. And so for us, I think small group gatherings, Friday night prayer, other prayer gatherings are the perfect place to practice these gifts. And we probably won't do a lot of these gifts when we gather on Sunday mornings like this. When somebody feels like they do have a word for the entire church, and, and thankfully that does happen, we encourage you to, to bring it to the pastors, bring it to one of the leaders. We'll take our time praying through it and, and considering it. We probably won't share it the same day. as you know, We don't have an open microphone just for prophecy, which we did where I was going up. Rather, we, we take time. We, we, we seek the Lord. And if it feels legitimate and it, and it accords with Scripture, then we might share it or ask you to share it the following Sunday, saying, here's what I sense the Lord putting on my heart and our hearts. Now, let me say a quick word about verses 34 and 35 on women speaking in the church. Verse 34, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. Now, challenging verse, right? I applaud Bissy. I talked to her earlier. I was like, you can do this. I explained to her the context, and I'll explain it now. It, it seems on the surface like Paul is making a blanket statement. Women should never speak in churches. But he's literally just spent an entire chapter, chapter 11, giving instructions for women as they speak in church. Like basically what to wear, whether or not to, to wear the head covering while they're speaking in church. And he's saying over and over that each one should bring your gift. Each one should have something to say. Each one should build up the church. And he doesn't say each male or, or each man should do this. The language is always everyone. And remember, this is in the context of main, maintaining order and prophetic sharing. Andrew Wilson has a, a commentary on 1 Corinthians that describes that Paul likely meant one of two things. First, that women aren't to be the ones that, that weigh or approve the prophetic sharing, that that might be a role reserved for the male elders. Or second, that women in Corinth had been interrupting men when they were sharing their prophecies, asking them so many questions. And in that culture, it was wrong for a married woman to ask questions of, of another married man that wasn't her husband. And so that's why Paul says they should wait and ask their husbands at home. The rest of the New Testament supports women having an active role in the church outside of the role of elder. All right, so that's the second thing, building up the church. Are we good? All right. Third thing, prophecy exists to support the mission of the church. This is the evangelistic side of prophetic giftings. Verse 24, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will all fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And prophecy is so powerful that it can, it can reveal to somebody sin in their heart and bring them to repentance and faith in Christ. We talked last week about just the, the secular culture that we're a part of that, that rejects so much of the supernatural. And there's this intense, I think, pressure or temptation for us as believers and our churches to just minimize anything supernatural in the church. To, to highlight all the, the, the shared common ground, which I think is good with the world, 
but to hide or minimize anything that, that can even seem a little bit weird, like including the resurrection of Jesus or including this power of the Spirit in miracles. But I want to encourage us, what is the point of trying to be exactly like the world? Especially in our Sunday gatherings. Like just trying to play the, the catchiest music or turning the preaching into TED Talks and have, have no, no talk of, of anything that could be slightly offensive. And Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is an essential resource in evangelism and mission. The Holy Spirit can set something on your mind that you can encourage or comfort or challenge a non-Christian with in a way that might bring him or her into the kingdom of God. And so that, that's what prophecy is for. It's supernatural encouragement to edify one another, build up the church, and support our missional engagement. Now, the third thing is the practice. How might we do this? How do we cultivate a prophetic life? The first thing is to stock the pond. Stock the pond. If you want to be really good at fishing, just dump a bunch of fish into a small pond. You'd be great at fishing. In the same way, we're, we're to stock the, the pond of our minds with as much scripture as we can pack in as possible. So fill your mind, fill your heart with, with the words of God, with his scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, so that the Holy Spirit has something to draw on from your mind. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will put a passage on your mind and you have no clue what it means, but typically he's going to draw something to mind that you've read before, studied before, felt deeply before. And so stock the pond. Number two, listen for his word. Make space in your, in your day, in your prayers. Make space to actually just listen for the voice of God. Ask him to speak to you. Ask, ask him to reveal something as you pray for other people. There's a lot more to say here, but Pastor Cam's going to talk on it next week, and so I'll keep rolling. Number three, share with wisdom and gentleness. There's a, a helpful grid that we use for prophetic words that comes from a British pastor, Pete Gregg. He says, before sharing any prophetic word, ask the ABCs. Is it affirming? Does it fulfill the criteria of this chapter? Is it encouraging and comforting? Is it biblical? In other words, is it consistent with the teachings of Scripture? And is it Christ-like? Is it consistent with the character and message of Jesus? Is it affirming, biblical, and Christ-like? And so share with wisdom and gentleness. Number four, wait patiently with certain words. There's a few areas where I think we need to be really, really careful in how we're sharing things that we feel like are from the Lord. If you think that somebody, or you think that you've received a message about somebody's hidden sin, that, that somehow they're, they're living in sin and the Lord's put that on your heart, I would just encourage you to be really, really careful and move really slowly with this. You can do a lot of damage if, if you're wrong in this way. You might want to share it with somebody else and, and have them pray with you for a few days, but be really careful trying to illuminate somebody's hidden sin. In the same way, if you think God has given you something related to, to pregnancy or childbirth or children in somebody's life, man, just be so, so careful. 
Like it can be so damaging to go to somebody who's struggled with infertility or hasn't been able to have kids and say, I know that God says you're, you're going to have a family soon. I mean, that can do so much damage. If you feel that, then hold on to it. Pray for them. And Lord willing, you'll be able to share that when it does come to pass. I'll say it's the same thing if you're like a single guy and you see like a girl on campus. And you're like, she could be my wife. Wait, is that from God? Don't just go right up there and say, God said, you're going to be my wife, so let's go out to dinner. Just don't do it. Also, in my experience, the, the predictive side of prophecy is, is really difficult. Most of prophecy in the scripture is revealing something that's true, something that's, that's hidden, revealing something that's happened for the encouragement and comforting of some person. But the predictive side is saying, here's what's going to happen. God revealed to me the future. I've seen and I believe that this can still be active in the church. We see it in the book of Acts. But in my experience, it's almost more, always, almost always more symbolic than literal. So if somebody says, I, I got a vision that there was going to be a huge storm tonight, even though the, the forecast is clear. I would say it's probably more symbolic. And so if they're crushed the next day that it doesn't rain, I recognize there was probably a message there to to understand what was the storm? Was it something in your life? Was it something for somebody else? But the predictive stuff, I think, is almost always symbolic. And so again, make sure it's affirming, biblical, Christ-like. You may want to share it with a trusted friend or leader first. Our God is not in a hurry. We say this over and over. God is not in a hurry. I don't want you to just not share things. I want you to, to be bold if it is affirming, biblical, and Christ-like. But if there's anything in you that hesitates and thinks it might cause damage or be misinterpreted or misunderstood, you can wait and pray. Think about it. Share it. It'll be just as powerful and effective in, in three to seven days if it really is from the Lord. Be patient. God's not in a hurry. Number five, the last thing, full send. Pray for prophetic giftings. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says three times, especially prophecy. Pray that the Lord would give you this gift of, of supernatural encouragement for one another. It's amazing how much it can, it can mean in somebody's life, how much it can serve to comfort or encourage them in a time of need. Not long ago, I was in a, a really difficult season. I was, was really struggling with depression. It was, it was one of the darkest seasons I've been in. There was some really difficult stuff going on in the church. A friend of mine was really struggling. And it's Saturday morning, just trying to play with the kids. I get a text message. It's my boy, my guy. And he's passing through town on 70s. He's like, could we pop off in Columbia and like, let the kids out, use the bathroom. I was like, yeah, we'll make you lunch. Come on in. And so Jesse and I were sitting with him and his wife around the, the table. And I just said something really general, like, yeah, you know, it's been kind of a harder season. He looks right at us and says, I know. He says, I know that you are struggling with depression. I know that there are these really hard things going on in the church and your friend is struggling. And then he went on to name every person that was involved and what was happening on the surface and then what they were like thinking beneath it. I mean, it was unbelievable 
like Jesse and I were just looking at each other like, O-M-G-Z, like, <laughs> what is happening right now? And then he says, well, you remember I told you this would happen. And it took me a second, and then I, like, it came rushing back to me, a call that we had had a year earlier, and he was like, Jeremy, I've got a vision for you. Do you want to hear it? I'm like, yes. It was three things, and the third thing was, you're going to have an incredibly difficult season. And he gave me a scripture from Isaiah to go with it, to meditate on. And I don't know why. I just, I never wrote it down. I just, I just totally forgot it. I plumb forgot. And then a moment, it came rushing back to me. Now, the predictive stuff is really rare, but he had, he had said something was going to happen, and, then it, and it actually did. And, he, and the Lord shared with him so much of the details that there's absolutely no way that he could have known. And he didn't tell me what to do. It wasn't like, so now you can just do this and it'll be okay. It didn't get easier after this. But it, it was supernatural encouragement. It was a way for God to speak to me through my buddy to say, I see you. Don't forget Isaiah 9. The kingdom's going to keep going forward. Jesus' kingdom is going to keep expanding. I see you. I love you. You're going to be okay. We got this. It's unbelievably encouraging. Prophecy is where God's word and God's spirit come together in, in perfect harmony for our good, to, to build us up in the church. And any division between word and spirit, as we've been saying, is totally foreign to the New Testament. It does not make sense to who God is. Remember John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen him, the son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is the eternal word of God. And he said it was for our good that he would go so that the Holy Spirit would come, say nothing new, but take his words, Jesus's words, and impress them upon our hearts. Prophetic gifts are a beautiful place for God's word and God's spirit to come together. We do not serve mute idols. We serve a God who speaks. That's why Paul so passionately says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Let's pray. And Father, you are so, so good. It's, it's staggering that with, with all of your power, the, the power to create the universe in just a word, that you would also speak to us in our, in our times of prayer, in our times of need, in times of struggle. Lord, that you are, are so high and, and mighty and holy, and yet you, you draw near to the brokenhearted and support the weak and the poor. And you speak in, in such powerful ways through your wit, written word, and sometimes through these prophetic gifts. Lord, would you make us more aware of this? Would you, would you draw us deeper into your word? 
Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us insight into how we might do this as a church? Would you protect us from error? And would you protect us from just not trying at all? Lord, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for everything that you are doing here. It's, it's absolutely supernatural. It's unbelievable. And we just pray for more, Lord. We pray for more baptisms like the one we're about to celebrate. We pray for more wholeness in our lives and in our families. We pray for more people to come to know you in this place. Lord, we ask for more of your presence. We're hungry for it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.